Hello, this is Allison Carter, Occupational Therapist with the Milestones Podcast. This is episode 100. I can't believe that some of you have listened to me a hundred times now. Thank you for sticking by me and continuing to support the show over the past few years. I wanted to reflect for a moment on why I started this podcast four years ago. I really wanted to put something out there for parents to listen to. I found that I was saying the same things frequently to individual families that I work with, and I figured there must be a lot of other families out there that could benefit from having the same information. Now, I know there are parents and grandparents that do listen to this show, but what I didn't expect was for other OTs to listen and find my information helpful. As it turns out, I end up getting the most feedback and emails from OTs who listen to me. It is really exciting to me that other therapists can learn from my show, although I also feel a bit of pressure knowing that people are taking my information and applying it to their job. I am now going to ask for everyone that is listening to this show to send me an email or a message on Instagram and let me know if you are a parent, an OT, PT, speech-language pathologist, a teacher, or anything else. I would love to get a current update on who the audience is after four years of doing this show. For this special episode, I wanted to do something a little different. This show, I want to go over the top five things that I look for when I'm doing an evaluation with a child in the zero to three age range. I kind of think of these as functional observations because it gives me a picture of what the child does naturally in their home environment where where they are the most comfortable, and I can see how they are functioning in this environment, where I should technically see them having the best success because they are home, where everything is familiar, and they can feel free to be who they are. Of course, there are more than these five things that I look for and that you should look for, but these are going to be the top five things that I'm always watching out for when I evaluate a new infant or toddler. Before I get into this, let me remind you that you can support this show by doing a couple different things. One of them is by purchasing CEUs of this show on my website at mymidwesttherapy.com. Not only does that help me out, but you also get the benefit of completing some of your license requirements. Look for the yellow Add to Cart buttons under specific episodes. Now, I've recently gotten some feedback about these, so I'm going to be adding a new tab on my website that is labeled CEUs. I'm in the process of updating my website and adding the new page where it should be easier to find the links to purchase the CEU tests. You can also help by doing your online shopping using one of the Amazon links on my website. Finally, becoming a Patreon member, uh, you will receive additional member-only benefits by joining. Benefits include things like bonus content, forms and documents that may help in your practice, resources for you and for your clients, and whatever else comes to my mind to share with you for supporting me. You can click the Patreon button on my website or just go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Milestones Podcast. Moving on to the topic for today, 
I came up with the idea for this topic after completing a new evaluation with a two-year-old this month. The child was referred for the evaluation by their parents because they have feeding concerns. So the eval was for feeding, which I was able to observe dinner time when I was at their home. And after the meal was over, I was able to complete the rest of the evaluation by having the child get out of their high chair and move around the home. Now, I was observing and testing for the items on the standardized assessment that was required for the infant and toddler program that I contract with. But, more importantly, in my opinion, I was observing the child, using my trained eye to see if anything else might be going on with the child that isn't directly on the assessment. And I'm glad that I did, because there would have been some missed details to this child's story if I hadn't taken the time to just observe the child moving around and doing what they normally do at home. So, long story short, it made me think, this is something I could share on the podcast. What are the things that I am really looking for when making my observations and completing an evaluation with a child that I've never met before? The items on the standardized assessment are specific activities, but what does the child look like when they are doing these activities? I came up with a list of the top five things that I look for. Of course, there are more than five things that I'm watching for, like I said before, but I wanted to be able to finish this episode, you know, before the end of the year, so I kept the list to five. The items in this list are in addition to the regular developmental milestones that we evaluate for. In other words, these are some things that are not on the standardized developmental assessments but they are things that I know often get overlooked or are misunderstood by parents of the kids that we evaluate. And these are listed in no particular order. The first one I'm going to talk about is the ATNR, the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex. I've talked about this one a lot over different episodes, and there's a good reason for that. It is probably one of the most common retained primitive reflexes. Now, I know that's not a very scientific statement, but it is, in my opinion, based on my experiences working with kids, probably also one of the most easily recognizable through general observation. If you're evaluating an infant, you are looking for this reflex to make sure it is present if the baby is around six months or younger. If the baby is older than six months, you want to make sure the reflex is becoming or has become integrated. Any child, let's say eight months through three years old, and actually beyond that up to any age, we want to make sure we are not seeing the ATNR reflex anymore. In the six to eight month olds, I usually check for this reflex by having them lay on their back, turning their head to one side, and then the other. When they turn their head, I observe their arms and legs to see if they are following the reflex position. As a reminder, when the head turns to the right, the right arm and the right leg extend out towards the right side, and the left arm bends, so the left hand is at the back of the head, and the left leg is bent at the knee. The opposite happens, of course, when they turn their head to the left. In the eight-plus-month-olds, you can watch for the reflex when the child is laying on their back or when they are in an upright position. I have seen two-year-olds sitting up 
turn their head to one side and reach that direction to get a toy with the same side hand and the hand on the opposite side bends up towards the back of their head. Sometimes in these older kids, you will see the retained ATNR in their arms associated with head turning, but you don't always see, or maybe it's harder to notice, the legs also moving into the reflex position. A lot of times, but not necessarily all the time, when I see this reflex in a two to three year old, it is with a child that has been diagnosed with autism or one that I suspect may eventually be diagnosed with autism. Like I said, not every time, so just because you see this reflex doesn't guarantee a diagnosis. But I should say, in those kiddos that you suspect has autism, you should definitely keep an eye out for this reflex. One of the things to look for that frequently goes along with the retained ATNR is difficulty or lack of ability to cross midline. Not only reaching across midline physically with each hand, but also the ability to visually track an object all the way across from one side to the other without losing track of the object. This also includes bilateral coordination or using both hands together in play. If the ATNR is retained, a toddler will likely have a difficult time with things like holding a bucket with one hand and picking up toys with the other to put in the bucket, or holding a cup of applesauce steady with one hand while scooping the applesauce up with a spoon in the other hand. The second item to talk about from my list is eating and drinking skills. It's pretty common that at some point during the time I'm at someone's house for the evaluation, the child will either be offered or they will seek out their cup or a drink. If they, for some reason, don't do this naturally, I will always ask the parent things like, what does the child drink out of? Are they also able to drink out of a straw cup or an open cup, depending on their age, and if those are appropriate for their age? If possible, I try to observe the child drinking from their cup Watch for how they hold it, one hand or two hands. Watch how they hold their head. Are they tilting to one side? Or do they throw their head back? Do they keep their chin tucked? How does their tongue, lips, jaw look when drinking and swallowing? Do they cough during or after? And if possible, I also try to observe at least a small snack. You can learn a lot just from watching a child eating a few goldfish crackers or fruit snacks if you're lucky enough to see them eat something from a spoon, either offered by the parents or on their own if appropriate. For one thing, how does the child communicate what they want for a snack? Do they make a choice? Do they get it themselves? Or does the parent just choose something and the child eats whatever the parent gives them? How are they picking up the pieces of the crackers or the food? Are they using a raking whole hand grasp? two fingers and thumb or a pincer grasp or some other way. How do they hold the spoon and are they able to scoop the food and bring it to their mouth? Do they turn it over when bringing it to their mouth? Um, are they able to close their lips on the spoon and clear the food, clear the spoon using their lips? If some falls out onto their chin, what do they do? Do they even notice? Do they get upset and want it to be wiped immediately? What happens if some applesauce gets on their hand? How do they react, if at all? If eating a solid food, are they able to chew it? Do they move it side to side in their mouth with their tongue? 
Do they have a tongue thrust? Does the parent report any gagging, choking, or coughing with meals or drinks? Those are just kind of basic things constantly observing when eating or drinking. The third thing on my list is W sitting. This is where the child sits with their knees bent and their feet towards the back, but their knees are out wide, so they're sitting on their bottom in between their feet. From above them, their legs appear to be in the shape of a W. This could be a possible indication of weak leg muscles or weak core muscles. By sitting with the wide base of support, their trunk or core muscles, which are basically their back and their tummy muscles, don't have to do much, if any, work. This can reinforce the W sitting position and encourage even more of it because they may continue to get weaker in time by sitting that way. Having their legs spread out wide and their body low to the ground, their core doesn't have to do much to stay upright. They really don't have to practice sitting balance because their legs are keeping them balanced already. This is something to watch for because if the child sits like this frequently, then you want to redirect them to a different position for sitting. Otherwise, it has the potential to create further weakness and other types of delays in the future. Not only core for balance in sitting, but their core may be weak all overall in standing, walking, running, or generally moving around. And they may have a difficult time with balancing and staying upright or being coordinated when they move. You don't get a lot of turning or twisting of their body to rotate, which may limit the amount of crossing midline that they're able to do. They might tend to reach on the left side of their body with only their left hand and on the right side of their body with their right hand. When you correct them to sit with their legs out front or in crisscross position, they may tend to lean on one hand or the other for support because their core is too weak to hold them up in sitting or their endurance is low and they can't stay upright as long. They may fall over if they are in sitting in these positions if they don't catch themselves with their hand or lean on their hand for support. This is because their core muscles do not activate or they have very low endurance for sitting since these muscles are weak and they get tired quickly. Another issue with W sitting is that it can cause tight hip and leg muscles, specifically the hamstrings and the hip adductors plus the Achilles tendon or the heel cord. In the long run, weak core muscles can affect bilateral coordination, handwriting, reading and writing skills, running coordination, and a lot more. The next item on the list is toe walking. Toe walking can be an indicator for sensory issues, autism, or it could be due to a child having cerebral palsy. Toe walking can also be part of typical development for a period of time. However, in the context of having an evaluation with me due to developmental concerns the parent is already having, I watch for toe walking because it can be a red flag for additional potential delays. Let me put that another way. 
If a child is toe walking, but there are no other developmental concerns or signs of potential developmental delays, then the child may just be going through a phase of toe walking that will naturally end, usually by two years of age. But when a child has other developmental delays, toe walking is another indicator to me that we need to pay a little closer attention to it and make sure the parents are aware that we want to go ahead and start encouraging the child to walk with their heels down or with flat feet when they see the toe walking. This to me is a good time to try and prevent the toe walking from possibly becoming a habit and to prevent the heel cord from getting shorter and tight so that the toe walking doesn't continue and progress to where the child can physically can't walk with flat feet or with their heels down because everything is too tight. If they get to that point, they may end up needing treatment to try and reverse the physical effects through stretching, splints, serial casting, Botox, or even surgery to release the tendons. So toe walking in and of itself may not be an issue going forward, but when paired with other potential developmental sensory or physical delays, it is something to definitely keep a close eye on. The fifth and final item on the list for today involves a group of items that are red flags for autism. I'm not looking for these because I'm trying to make a diagnosis, but these are things to look out for, make a note of, and also mention to the parents, especially for the kiddos in the 18 to 36 month age range. I say this because there are some red flags that parents don't recognize as atypical or a potential sign of autism. I'm definitely not going to bust out with, I think your child has autism because this, this, and this. But I would start by asking questions. Is this something that your child does a lot as the child is doing the thing, for example? Or I may just point out and say, I see that your child is rocking back and forth. Do you see them do that a lot? Why do you think they do that? These are good questions because you can begin to gauge with the parent, where the parent is at with their understanding. And also, they know their child better than you. So their insight is helpful and informational, even if they don't have the same understanding of it as you do. The parent may not understand it as a sensory-seeking activity, for example. But they may understand that when their child does it, it helps it seems to help them calm down if they're getting stressed or if they're upset. So anyway, the main signs that I'm watching for, besides the ones that I already mentioned earlier in the list, are body movements, joint attention, and vocalizations. Body movements include rocking their body back and forth, hand flapping, or what I commonly see in this age range looks something like they're punching their fists into the air at the same time repetitively. And they're often rocking their body back and forth at the same time that they're punching the air. This is not punching the air out of anger. It is more of a repetitive or self-stimming action. Sometimes the hand flapping is more of hand watching in front of their face that is brief. And sometimes it's more of a posturing type action meaning they move their hands and fingers into a somewhat contorted position and hold it still briefly 
while watching their hands and then move their fingers and their hands again, possibly rocking their body back and forth and repeating the posture again until something or someone else catches their attention. Uh, The second part of that is joint attention, where I'm looking to see if they make eye contact with me or with their family members. And I will ask about eye contact and if the family has noticed if the child will make eye contact with them. If so, in what context? So when a child has good joint attention skills, I will point it out to the parent in the moment. For example... If a child does something they think is interesting with a toy and they look over at the parent, make eye contact and smile once they see the parent look at the toy too, and then return the eye contact and the smile. These are nice ways of non-verbally communicating back and forth. I would say something like, I like how he or she checked with you to see if you were watching. That's good communicating even though they didn't say anything. I think you could say the same thing is going on if the child is starting to do something that they know they're not supposed to do and they look back at the parent right before they do it to see if they're watching and before they continue on doing the thing that they're not supposed to do or decide to stop and not do it and move to something else instead. In addition to that, the child may be trying to open a container or activate a new toy And they might need help doing that. So they bring it to the parent, hand it to them, make eye contact, and wait for them to help open it or activate it for them. A child who does not have these skills might just try to open the toy, get mad when they can't do it or it's not working, and then throw it across the room without ever considering there is anyone else in the room who could possibly help them. Even if the parent is saying to the child, bring it to me and I'll help you, the child may or may not notice the parent talking to them and ultimately they do not ask for help or bring it to them for help. And they end up eventually just moving on to something else. Okay, so those are the main items I am watching for when doing a new evaluation. And to be honest, these are things that are almost always on my mind, even when doing ongoing therapy with kiddos in this age range. I'm going to end there for today. Keep watching and waiting, listening for episode 101 will be coming up soon and it will be an interview show. I would like to thank you for listening today and thank you for listening to me for all these 100 episodes. I'm looking forward to the next 100.